Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hi, Changemaker. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I help changemakers grow capacity, increase funding, and advance mission. And to do that, I teach you how to gain expertise in grant writing and coach you with systems so you become a freelance grant writer and 10x results, all from the comfort of your own home. All right, today is very exciting. I am super, super excited about it. (laughs) And definitely check out our YouTube channel if you have not yet, because this whole live interview with Alexis Cook of Unlocked Nashville, and they just went to a whole new branding name change uh, since we actually did the interview and she is now become unlocked. I love that. So you're going to hear why the term unlocked in this interview and it's very inspiring. But if you are looking at you know, working with other businesses, this is definitely going to give for-profit businesses, let me restate that, this is going to give your eyes an opening on how that could work in a very, very real emerging social business campaign. So super duper cool. I'm really excited about this interview. I met Alexis in Nashville in June, and we've just formed this great relationship. I was able to see what she's doing, and it's just absolutely amazing. So you're going you're gonna to love her. I know it. Anyways, before I get into it today, I want to definitely give a shout out to Tahoe High Sierra, who left a great review on iTunes. She said, or they said, Holly is a must-have in my grant writing tool belt. Aww. I've come to rely on Holly to help my with my understanding or grant writing, and she has been extremely helpful. From her Udemy class to her podcast, I feel more confident in how I think about grant writing and fundraising. Uh, Thank you. So yeah, so she or he, right, took my Udemy class that I had grant writing up there. I currently don't have that up right now since I'm rebranded the entire thing and I've added to it. But back in the day, I did have a class up there. And yes, it was so great to have people reach out to me there. So thank you so much, Tahoe High Sierra, for that wonderful review. I'm glad that these podcasts have been very helpful in making you feel confident because that's what it's about, growing in your expertise and your confidence. So you can help get nonprofits money or your, you know, your own grant writing consultancy money. And speaking of that, before we go into today's episode, just real quick, I just want to give one more opportunity for those of you who want to join the 10-week live online training that I will be doing starting on September 23rd. I'll be walking you through everything you need to learn how to write grants, and how to grow a successful grant writing business. So let me know if you're interested as there will only be 30 spots available and I've already been getting emails. So by the time this is out, some of those spots will have been filled. So hopefully there will be spots available for you to get. Uh, and we're only we're, we're going to go dive deep into grant writing for this first section of the course. And then I'm going to set you up for success in being a freelance grant writer. This includes downloadables and structures on how to get clients, retain clients, put together prices and packaging, etc. 
So you might say, well, who is this good for? Well, this may be a good course for you if you are retiring and ready for a life transition but still want to help with social causes while earning an income. Or maybe you love working with nonprofits, but let's face it, you can't volunteer all your life and you need to pay your bills too, right? Or maybe you wanted to start a business helping nonprofits and organizations with their grant writing, but you might not be very confident in your grant writing skills. Or maybe you're a mom, a military wife, an expat, and you need a job where you can work from home no matter where that is. But you also just don't want any job. You want a job that is fulfilling and has impact. However, no matter where you are, you're struggling with two things. One, how to write successful grant proposals without wasting hours and hours. And two, how to build a business that keeps you busy and making good money. So this course will give you that live interaction. It's the beta group. So it's going to have live weekly sessions as well as video modules, downloadables. And it's also going to surround you with like-minded individuals. So you can really accelerate your grant writing skills and have the resources and support to open your own grant writing business. So please do let me know. This course will be, because it's the beta, it'll be 50% lower than once we launch it. And the final course might just be entirely online. So this one is live weekly. So you'll have live interaction with me every single week in these group classes. And then, yeah, so it'll be really, really great. So you're gonna help me also by giving me some feedback so I can really spruce up the final one. But you're definitely gonna get a lot of great information. I'm gonna walk you step-by-step through core principles um, to help you learn how to write grants and start taking action to get clients and charging what you're because you guys are all worth it. And I know so many people come to me and they're like, Holly, you know, I just can't volunteer all the time. I want to do these grants. Um, I want to help others, but I, I also need to pay my bills. You know, I got my student loans or I got my kids I need to take care of and everything like that. So there's definitely a way that you can make and earn a good income from writing grants and by helping people. And it's such a rewarding career. Like, let me just tell you, I've just felt so rewarded in helping others to get money and get funding. Um, We just got an NSF grant last week for the University of Guam, or we finally got the final award notice, which was fantastic. So that was $275,000 for three years to help language documentation process. So the language here of Chamorro is endangered. So now they're setting up how to document that language so it doesn't become extinct, right? So they can actually revitalize it, which is fantastic. So just like that's just one little glance, right? Like one view of that. So there's so many different things that you can do through grant writing to really benefit your community and the world while also being able to pay your bills and do it at good rates where you're not just earning peanuts, right? But you actually can charge because you are worth it and the monies that you pull in are worth it. So anyways, if you're interested, send me an email, holly at grantwritingandfunding.com. Just say I'm interested and I will send you more information if we have not capped by now. But yeah, 30 people will be the cap. So I'm really excited about this. So let's just get into our interview today because you're going to love Alexis. You're going to love what you hear about this. These are other things that we talk about besides just grant writing, right? It's grant writing and funding. Remember the podcast name (laughs) and our website name. So we do also talk about other ways that you can help nonprofits earn income and earn money and be able to have broader partnerships. So here we go. We get into it today. I'll talk to you guys soon. Hi, everyone. I'm Holly Rustic, and I'm here today to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and advance mission. And I have a very special guest with me today. This is Miss Alexis Cook of Unlock. 
Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alexis. Thank you for having me, Holly. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. And we met actually in June while I was in Nashville. So it was super exciting to meet you in person. We had some coffee and just a great conversation. And now you're here on the podcast. So it's just super cool. <laughs> What could be better, honestly? Yeah, it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I found Alexis. So I was, before I went to Nashville, I was looking at Instagram and I was trying to find really positive different causes and movements that were going on in Nashville. And I came across Unlocked and I was like, holy smokes, they're doing such amazing things. So then I went to your website and I was like, and I read your story and it was so inspiring that I was like, I have got to meet this girl. So as soon as I reached out to you and I DM'd you and then you got back to me and we just, it was so wonderful. So I just, I can't wait to talk about your story because how inspiring it is to me that I know that you're going to inspire all the listeners out there today. So thank you. That is so sweet. Yeah, I absolutely loved getting to know you a little bit. Excited to be here. Yay. I'm going to go ahead and get into it. First off, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you properly. All right. So I have your bio here. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. Alexis Cook is a co-founder and the co-president of Unlocked, an ethical jewelry brand that employs and empowers women transitioning out of homelessness in Nashville, Tennessee. She was an Ingram Scholar, which I didn't know that. I was like, super cool. Oh my gosh. At Vanderbilt University, where she majored in human and organizational development and economics. Alexis and her co-founder began Unlocked while undergrad students at Vanderbilt, and they went full time upon graduation. So you started your business full time upon graduation in August 2018. So only once this is um, aired, a little over a year ago. Like this is pretty pretty amazing. So in that short time, Unlocked has grown rapidly and has been in many publications, including the Social Enterprise Alliance and News Channel 5. And many others, you can definitely check out all of the different publications and what you guys do, your whole backstory on unlocknashville.com. So please go there and check it out. But we're also going to talk about that today. So you're going to hear like the back the back of it all, right? <laughs> Which I love. So thank you so much again for being with me today. And just for you listeners out there, you know, you may be wanting to start a nonprofit and maybe this could be another avenue for you. Maybe this is actually a better thing when we're going to look at Unlocked. Unlocked is not a nonprofit, but works with nonprofits. So I love that you're a social enterprise and also you create products. So even if you are a nonprofit or you work with a nonprofit and you're looking at, you know, providing more diversity of funding, products and services are a fantastic way to do so. So you're going to give us some insight on how to do that. So you listeners out there, like I said, if you're looking at starting something, this might be, this is a great podcast for you as well as if you're looking at increasing funding for nonprofits, we're going to show you how to connect with social enterprises as well as how to develop services and products. All right, so let's go ahead and get into it. So first off, can you just, yeah, share your backstory? Like I've been talking about it, but I want you to say, why did this start? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the Unlocked founding story is kind of an unusual one. I'll just preface it with that. Holly, you already know, but it's, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not like I set out wanting to start a company. I'll just say that. So basically I was a student at Vanderbilt, like you just heard, and um, was diagnosed with Lyme disease at the end of my sophomore year there. And for those who know, it's a pretty debilitating disease. So I ended up taking um, some time off from school. And during that time, really just felt like I was being called to start walking around downtown and talking with people experiencing homelessness. Nashville has a growing homeless population, honestly. And so I had volunteered quite a bit um, with different organizations, but really wanted to get to know people on 
just a face-to-face basis. Um, and I had all the time in the world. So I was like, you know, I, I might as well just start walking around and doing that. Yeah. And through some of those conversations, just felt like there was an opportunity to create some sort of employment vehicle to employ some of my new friends, really. And was just kind of ruminating on that and thinking what that would look like and went to visit Vanderbilt to see some friends. I was still out of school at this point, but was, yeah, walking back to my car and lost my keys. And so I was sitting, waiting on the curb, waiting for a spare set of keys. And a guy I'd known like my freshman year walked by and he was like, hey, I I heard you're out of school, you know, like what's going on? And so I started sharing my heart about how um, I'd been making a lot of friends with people living on the streets and thought about starting some sort of like organization company maybe that would employ some of my new friends and wasn't sure what that'd look like. But basically he and I just sat and talked about it as I waited for keys (laughs) and um, yeah, wrote a a little business plan, which is kind of a bizarre thing to do on an average Tuesday night. But yeah, and just the more we talked about, we were like, we're going to start meeting up once a week and see if there's actually anything there. And so we did exactly that and um, just started making it more and more concrete. Like what would this look like? What would be the business structure? And whenever I came back to school that following semester, we entered a pitch contest and won a little bit of seed money from that. We won, which honestly was surprising because we were, we didn't think very prepared at all. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was, it was good to give a little confidence and some mentors. And then the end of my junior year was really like the inflection point of, okay, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to go, whatever, do Mm -hmm. microfinance in India. You know, Mm -hmm. it was kind of like make it or break a moment. And just started thinking and praying a lot about like, okay, if this is going to happen, I need to know like for sure. And it was around that time. So quick backstory, like I said, I'd been volunteering a lot with different organizations. Mm -hmm. And one in particular, I had met a guy who'd been homeless most of his life named Ray. He was a a Cuban immigrant and didn't really have any family in the country. And so I just met him while I was volunteering, but we became really close and kind of became grandpa, granddaughter. And I would go visit him all the time and um, all that that. kind of stuff. He was Mm -hmm. sweet. But he was diagnosed with cancer when I was diagnosed with Lyme. So in a bizarre sense, I kind of became his single family member and started taking him to all of his doctor's appointments, became his power of attorney, just all of that stuff. Um, And then, yeah, right as I was like thinking about, should I do this company or not, Ray calls and he's like, hey, I need you to come to the hospital. I'm dying. So obviously I rushed right over and um, we have this amazing conversation about his life and what it had meant to him. And at the end of this conversation, just like in a, a movie, he, um, he pulls me in and he says, actually, I wanted you to know I have a storage unit. And in this storage unit, I have a duffel bag of money. And whenever I pass, I want you to have it. Um, now remember, Ray doesn't own a mattress at this point in his life. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm kind of just like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> I believe you because I always believe you, but that's interesting. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I wholeheartedly believed him. He was like I said, he was my grandpa. And so he, he did end up passing away and I, I did the funeral and did all that stuff. And then after went to um, this storage unit that he had like left all these detailed instructions about. And mm-hmm. sure enough, uh, there was a duffel bag of like crisp hundreds. And so Corbin, my co-founder and I just started like counting them out. And um, it wasn't even that much, but it was enough to file unlocked as an LLC. We went the for-profit route, which I can talk about later. We bought some equipment to make jewelry which we did jewelry mainly because, well, of a few reasons. One, we liked the metaphor of creating beauty in the world and just how we thought anyone um, could do that. And it's kind of like a statement on dignity. We like that it's easy to learn and to teach because mm-hmm. we knew we'd be transitional employment. And so we needed to be able to like reteach pretty rapidly. Right. Um, and we liked that consumers would wear it and they could kind of share the story and share more about like the mission behind it. Um, 
So anyway, for those reasons, we chose jewelry and hired our first maker, who was a woman who'd been homeless and actually was living in the same unit that I had met Ray in um, that nonprofit. So, oh, that's so yeah, amazing. Kind of that story, though, just wow. Like, you, and then you used the money to actually—it's like forming a legacy for him, in totally. a way. You know, like totally. that—that's just so touching. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I love that our seed investor, if you will. I mean, that was the only money we've ever received ever actually. And, and I love that it came from a guy who'd been homeless most of his life and is now vicariously almost employing other people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, yeah. And just kind of like how that's the ethos of our company, hopefully, is that we're, you know, we're mutual, we're giving and receiving. It's not just like we're giving all these services or whatever. We're just kind of elevating the voices of the people we're working with and, and giving them a chance to work for their own goals. So, oh, yeah. Sounds pairing. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. And I'm sure all the listeners now are like, oh, this is why she said it was so inspiring. <laughs> and we just started. So yeah, I mean, and just the metaphor too of that unlocked, you know, like yeah. it's I, I, on so many levels, it's like it began because your car was locked. <laughs> like, and then it like came to like unlock the, the this uh, storage unit, right? And unlock these dreams. And it's just, I love it, yeah. man. Oh, you it's just great. nailed it. That was like, really everything yeah yeah <laughs> glad it was intuitive <laughs> so yeah so I mean so you then you started so you're like okay we're gonna do jewelry and I'm sure there did you guys do some market research on this too as far as like what's gonna sell because I think that's really important too you know to, to understand what products to develop um, because it's nice to say oh we want to develop this one thing that maybe we love but if it's not going to sell it's not going to employ people it's not going to give opportunity right you know what I mean so how did you guys kind of I know it's a beautiful effect but was also some market research of like this is actually going to sell well or mm -hmm. oh yes yes um definitely did some market research um probably not great to say but it's the truth that Corbin and I are not jewelry experts at all you know, we didn't come in with any experience or anything of that nature neither of us have I don't think I ever made a piece of jewelry in our lives. Yeah, took a lot of market research. We actually, funny story, started out as a lawn care company. Um, yes, but that was before the storage unit or any of that. But in the in the very beginning, we thought we were going to be a lawn care company and um, switched to jewelry because of market research. And just, um, yeah, it, it was just going to be a lot harder in terms of um, the capital that we would need to raise to, to begin that kind of thing. And then all of the liability. And like I said, there's just the transitional employment piece makes it easy to, to train with something as, as tactile as um, jewelry. But yes, and in terms of the actual designs, I, I would like to reemphasize what you just said, that it is super important that it actually sells because it sells, because otherwise you can have the best mission in the world, you know, but, mm -hmm. but if it's not getting funded, then, then it's not going to be funded and no one will get paid for it, you know? And that's the point is that we'll be able to pay the wages of our makers and be able to provide all those other resources that we do. Mm -hmm. So, so then you, um, you do employ uh, women in transition or homeless women to actually be the makers. And I love that you call, you know, they're makers and it, you check out their website to um, unlockednashville.com. You'll be able to see the stories of their makers. And I remember you were telling me before that they, they write their own stories because it empowers, it's not like you're doing some greenwashing or whatever it's called and like writing their stories and then, you know, like making them sound like, I don't know, desperate or something like they have their stories. It's powerful and they tell it themselves. And I think that's so important. Um, so I love that you do that and that you give them, you know, they're, they are employees, but they're also these makers and they just 
you know, it just, it's really inspiring. And I almost see it like they'll be able to be experts at this and be able to advance even on after this, you know, like it's a stepping stone in a lot of ways. Like I'm sure someone, you know, they love it too, but it could be a great skill to have a stepping stone into something else um, and keep elevating them into other positions. So can you, yeah, can you talk about that a little bit as far as like the makers and how you select them and how that process works? Totally. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's important first to note that, so like I said, we are a for-profit, but we partner pretty intimately with a few nonprofits, which is how we can provide more than just wages. Wages are really important, but they're not going to solve everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Nothing is going to solve everything. I think it's a collaboration of a lot of different forces and um, just trying to make the most holistic approach we can. So Specifically, we partner with Community Care Fellowship. They're a nonprofit here in East Nashville. They've been around for over 35 years, and they do a plethora of things, honestly, for the homeless community. But we hire through them. So they have a job counseling program, and so their career counselors will recommend different candidates, I guess, to us. And then Corbin and I will go and interview them, and um, that's how we'll choose who will be, like, the next maker. But we also go to CCF for... Well, so with CCF, we've created something called the Pathways Program, and I might be getting a little ahead of myself. You're getting more than you asked for, but... Um, oh, no, get it. <laughs> yeah, getting the model. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Pathways Program is a joint program, really, with a few different nonprofits, but mainly Unlocked and CCF. And um, so the first thing we do after saying, like, you know, interviewing a candidate and being like, yes, you know, we'd love to hire you. We work with Community Care Fellowship and Urban Housing Solutions, another housing nonprofit in Nashville, to get that person into a transitional unit. So it's kind of a technical like workaround, but basically CCF has master leases. And so the women will move into those leases, but it's under CCF's name. And then Mm -hmm. they can start paying rent in proportion to the wages they're making at Unlocked. So we start them out with just a few hours as they're getting, you know, oriented to everything we're doing. Um, They're meeting with career counselors once a week, things like that. So there's a lot going on. But as they continue through our program, they scale up their hours until hopefully by the end they're paying full rent um, and working full time. So so each month that they're um, increasing their rent, they're also increasing their take home. So it's not like they're like at a standstill, mm-hmm. but they're actually being able to use. Um, but yeah, so we also have career counselors, mental health counselors. Um, we try and get as cheap as we can of physical health um, through a different nonprofit. Um, we have financial training courses and some really cool like database if you will like financial training courses where it's all about um incentives and it's through a, a, a nonprofit called community financial cfr relations i always call it cfr community financial something okay. <laughs> um <laughs> we'll put it send me the link we'll put it in the show notes yeah <laughs> yeah exactly they're lovely um mm-hmm. but they have an app where you log different um like good habits that you've done and mm-hmm. there's different points and whoever has the most points at the end of a certain period will get a cash prize. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, definitely send me the, th- the link so we th- I can put that in the show notes. A great, a great program. Yeah, but we've loved that and our makers have loved that. So just anyway, the point is things like that have, I think, really been able to move the needle in their life. And um, so it's in conjunction with the wages and the hours we're able to provide. Oh, that's so great. And I, I love that. So how you connect, you connect with the different nonprofits then to provide the wraparound services. Um, and you are one of those, the other services then that they leverage as far as the employment part, totally. but you really work closely in tandem with them. So that's really cool. And so 
yeah, so just kind of stepping back for a minute, then your decision to become a for-profit versus a, a nonprofit. I know you touched kind of briefly on that, but can you just kind of explain that a little bit more? Because a lot of people would look at your model and think right away, oh, I want to start a nonprofit and employ people. So can you kind of, yeah, talk about like why you didn't do that? And I'm sure you've thought of that. So yeah. We, yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, Corbin and I went back and forth on that in the beginning of if we should be a for-profit or a nonprofit or what. And basically decided that it would be more efficient, especially in the beginning, but even later down the line to be a for-profit. Um, just because we are, in a lot of ways, foremost of business. And so, you know, we have all these bottom lines. And obviously the reason we exist is our social mission. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still easier as a business to be able to make some pretty quick decisions in terms of like branding or marketing, you know, or, or seemingly innocuous things that won't affect our makers. But if we were a nonprofit, would have to go through a whole line of people. So of course we have a board of advisors and things like that, but it's not quite the same in terms of red tape as maybe a nonprofit is. Um, and then we figured we, we wanted even beyond that part, we wanted our incentives as, you know, the, the owners of this company to, to be to find ways to actually make it profitable. We were a little worried that, Maybe maybe it's unnecessary, but we were a little worried that if we were a nonprofit, we would um, kind of be okay with taking on more donations and grants and not finding ways to make it profitable. Because oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And maybe if we don't have to, maybe we won't. And we wanted it to be profitable so that if we do get donations or things like that for nonprofit side, it'll only go to the nonprofit side and it won't fund the business at all, if that makes sense. So it'll it'll fund maybe you know someone's housing, but it won't mm-hmm. fund making the jewelry that, that gives them wages. Um, and we kind of wanted those to be distinct. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So that's, that is such a, you know, it's an important decision while you're walking into this. And a lot of people, they just go straight for nonprofit and never even consider for profit and for profit. You know, there, there are more social enterprises out there that are for profit, but they do a lot of social, you know, their social mission drives the company. Right. And it, it and I love that you said that, you know, we don't want to sit there and just take in donations for our company. Like our company needs to make its own money. Those donations then can go into uh, would they just go back to the nonprofits you work with under the projects that you have an MOU and you have some agreements with them, right? Exactly. Yeah. So if we get donations, it'll go to, yeah, Pathways, which is like the housing and the financial training and all the things that are like services, you know, strictly. Right. So, yeah. So let's talk about that too then. Profit. All right. So I know this is this has been your in a lot of ways when you started it, especially as it is your volunteer kind of, you know, you started it driving the, the money comes in, it's funding the company. And that's how a lot of companies start as well. But are you able then to actually make a living off of this yet? Are you at that point? At Not yet. Point, no, honestly, okay. hopefully soon. That is mm-hmm. obviously the goal. But for Corbin and I, obviously, I mean, it's kind of ironic. We're paying much larger salaries than we're making. We're making almost nothing, to be frank. Um, mm-hmm. but, but our goal is to create living wages for our makers. And we knew that we could, like, kind of hustle side jobs for the next year or so and, and be okay mm-hmm. um, as we grow at the company. And so that's something to think about, too, is if we were a nonprofit, we probably wouldn't be in that boat. You know, we would have gotten grants and things like that. And we probably would be able to make a living wage for ourselves right now. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I still think that the long-term trajectory mm-hmm. is better with a, with a for-profit. But, yeah, I agree. Yeah, we have a few changes upcoming that we think hopefully will um, 
help us to be able to grow like that. <laughs> That's so important because it is important too. I mean, you got to pay your bills still, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so I, it is, but I mean, you guys, it's a, a little over a year and you guys are still, you're making an impact. How many people have you been able to employ then as makers throughout the last year? Yeah, five. Um, wow. So far. That's so, and, and not all simultaneously because um, whenever we were first founded, you know, um, like right after the storage unit type thing, we were still really figuring it out you know we were like on park benches you know like tinkering away with different metals trying to figure out if we could make a bracelet um mm -hmm. which is like kind of sweet and funny now but yeah it's it's been really exciting and our goal is this coming year that we'll be able to kind of ambitious but really quadruple it we are hoping for 20 women in 2020 um oh, that's so cool. yeah it sounds like i'm running for political office it just <laughs> it worked out that way it's, it's that. Um, <laughs> but we just think it's like a good capacity for that. But yeah, we, we definitely think that we're at a place where we could probably expand like that just because now that we've really settled into a lot of the programming um, with, you know, different nonprofit partners and things like that, we can, we can, so, yeah, pretty easily, I think, sustain that. And the goal of when I said graduation, maybe that's not clear. It's that um, each of our makers would get a full time job or whatever is needed to be living wage and have stable housing that's their own. I love that. That is so, I mean, I love that goal. It just works out. But yeah, I mean, it's it's so cool just to see how your company is moving forward. And it does take a while to figure out like that market, like what's selling, you know, what jewelry pieces are really, you know, gaining kind of momentum. And then, you know, and then it's just that, that word of mouth too. I mean, I imagine your word of mouth is gold, right? Because I mean, literally like people are wearing like, jewelry, but cause it's that story, like you said, that people will see, oh, I literally like your piece. What are you wearing? And then there's a story to go with it. So it is kind of like this slow, but exponential factor of growth, right? So I feel like that's, that's amazing that where you guys are at already having employed five people within the first year and getting everything set up. And, you know, it's just, it's a really, it's a really cool business. So how do you think that like there are nonprofits out there and they want to figure out, they were like, oh my gosh, I wish Unlocked was here so they could help it. You know, we provide housing for homeless people. We provide food, you know, that kind of thing, but we don't have the capacity to provide an employment project like this. And we know that's like almost number one, right? In, in, in getting our people employed and just getting workforce experience and all of that. So how can nonprofits, I mean, I, I know that your goal is 20 people, but even other companies that are similar to you, how can they kind of reach out and develop these relationships? Yeah. So the way that we got linked up with Community Care Fellowship was kind of random, actually. I think they found our newsletter just from one of their volunteers or something like that. And then their executive director just emailed me and was like, Hey, we have this job counseling program. Exactly what you're saying. Really. Um, we'd love to have some sort of employment for that more than even just like a business partner where they can send people. They wanted like a social enterprise. that's going to work specifically with their population. Um, and so we met up and just really loved each other's visions and um, started partnering formally after that. But I, I think more broadly, it's just, to some extent, keeping your ear close to the ground and knowing what's out there in the world of social enterprise. And yeah, I mean, there's definitely different groups and things like that, that, you know, like the Social Enterprise Alliance and, and those are chapters all over the place. But even beyond that, I think there's sometimes a really good opportunity to partner with just a normal for-profit business, especially if you have some sort of personal connection, maybe see if there's a way that you could 
yeah, start to create a, a relationship there where you could, you know, maybe send people that you've been working with or eventually even maybe create a social enterprise branch um, between the two of you. I think that's mm-hmm. feasible. Yeah, because I love that because even your original idea, the lawn care, right? So what's not to say there's a for-profit lawn care business and, and you have a lot of men who are homeless or, well, I guess it could be women too, right? But you could be like, hey, you know, could, do we connect? Do we our mission or vision connect and maybe have employment through that sector? There's so many different jobs or, you know, businesses out there that probably would be willing to do that. And especially because the nonprofit, I like how you have it set up because the nonprofit does a lot of the initial vetting for you. So like you said, they're the ones who kind of, okay, we're going to select from this pool and then you can do the final interviews and then have your final selection. But at least they go through that initial process because um, you must have qualification factors and criteria that you have developed, right, for them to actually select from that pool. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Just how the selections work a little more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That partnership. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So CCF has there's one career counselor in particular named Laura, who is lovely. She's just such a sweet woman. But she meets with a few different guests at CCF for experiencing homelessness. And if they're, you know, like meeting regularly and things like that, to set up all sorts of career counseling sessions. And then she really just personally flags people who she thinks would be a good fit, which is more based on a few things, screening for like outstanding addictions or things like that, that would be prohibitive to full-time work at this point. There's some mental health conditions, same thing that would be prohibitive. More than that, though, honestly, it's it's a real drive to gain gainful employment mm-hmm. because it's it's really important that the people we're working with know what they want and are really going for it. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's what's exciting for us is that it's not like we have to like sell them on a dream, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's their dream. Yeah, I think that works better for both parties. And um, yeah, so she's really great at identifying people like that who have some semblance of punctuality, you know, and are like showing up to her meetings with her. And it's not even that they have really defined goals of like, this is the job I want to do, and you know, whatever, but more just broadly that they like are really driven to um, get back into full time employment and um, looking for housing and things like that. Yeah, but so then after she flags people, we'll go and have interviews. And um, we're about to start actually having um like a test period mm. for a week we'll come and work at our warehouse and just get a feel for the work work with some of our other makers and see how they like fit into that dynamic and see if they like it because we wouldn't want them to feel like they've committed to something that they don't, don't like you know like mm-hmm. we're making it hard honestly and, and there's a lot of like really small pieces and things like that um and it's also good for us as a company just to see how how they fit in with other people you know and like make sure that it's going to be a good dynamic because our our internal culture is really important to us um and i think it's really important for their transition that they feel safe and heard and so we want to make sure that everyone we bring in is is valuing that um so mm. it's it's been really good so far we've been really pleased with who we've been working with that's amazing so you actually have um a factory right in nashville so they come and and how do you kind of function with that? So I guess I'm trying to think of like this factory. So it's a space where they come, they do the jewelry. Is this a place where then the profits then pay for that area? Is that working out like in that way or how does that kind of function? Yeah. So, so we're not paying ourselves, but we are paying for a factory. Priorities. But I will say that we just moved into that new office and, and factory um, like two months ago. 
feels even. I think you were painting it when I was in Nashville. Were yes, you? Yeah. Lovely. No, we're very pleased. There's like plants and you know all the nice. things you expect there to be. But that was a long, hard road to get there. Honestly, it's it didn't just pop into our lap. So I say that especially if there's someone who's really struggling, um, especially with you know space. That's one of the hardest parts I think to fill. Just because one, it costs a lot of money, and two, especially in Nashville, there was really low availability. So, yeah, at first we started out just working in a, in a spare classroom, and then we got kicked out of the classroom because school started again, and so we moved into Corbin's bedroom, and then we moved into the back of CCF, our nonprofit partner, which was lovely, and that's where we were really able to start growing. But then after we grew to a certain point, we were able to just pay our own place. So now we have that factory and warehouse, but it definitely didn't just start out that way. You know, it's just kind of an incremental growth, I would say. Yeah. yeah, that's super important, I think, to talk about, especially for nonprofits out there who are looking at starting some kind of, you know, products that can help generate money for them, right, under their nonprofit is the incremental growth, right? And kind of having it start funding itself slowly, but surely, <laughs> and getting the actual buy-in and then figuring out like, okay, this is how it needs to go. And I like now that you guys are like, this is an evolution and now we want to do like a one week testing period. And there's always, when you start small, it's so much easier to handle. And I feel like it comes together. It's hard, but it comes together a lot easier in some ways. Right. Or it just clicks along the road. But how did you guys like, as far as your, your jewelry, cause I know when we were talking and you said there's different types of jewelry that do better. So can you kind of talk about that? Because there might be a nonprofit out there that's okay, we want to start something, but what do we start? Like, what do we actually create? And then how do we figure out if it's moving? Like, do I go to one, you know, do I have a yard sale one day and see what sells? And you know what I mean? Like, how do they kind of go through that process? Totally. For us, it was kind of a natural process because as we started selling jewelry, we've just had a few iterations of our, our products. And as we've become better, um, mm -hmm. honestly, at producing and teaching, the quality has gone up. We've been able to bring the prices up a little bit. We still value accessibility, so we'll probably never go beyond a certain point. But but yeah, we what we've learned recently is, um, and this is kind of where the company is going now, is we're going to have a bit of a rebrand and only do recycled metals. So we oh, have nice. bought a 3D printer and a metal casting machine, which is like super high tech for, you know, yeah. for a company that started just less than a year ago. But that's, that's really why we needed the factory so we could melt down metals legally and not in the back of the nonprofit. Um, oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. You got to look at the legal policies and all that. Yeah. <laughs> Regulations. You can't be melting things in the back of the nonprofit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now that we have our own space to do that, we've started just kind of testing with the ideas, but we're planning to really launch our new line basically with a whole rebranded look in terms of new products, new production processes, new marketing and branding, the social media and the websites will look different. Obviously the, the main part of Unlocked will be the same, which is that we're still employing and empowering women transitioning out of homelessness. And we still have the pathways program all of that. But anyway, the point is we, we started thinking of all these changes because we realized that our products really had to be killing it and killing it. And so first of all, we, we care about the environment. I'll just say that. And so we are like, you know, it'd be really cool to environment uh, to include environmental sustainability into our mission. And then the more we started thinking about like, how could we do that in a way that also like looked cool? We realized if we could make completely original designs with a metal casting machine, that would be interesting, you know, because it's, it's not something that every company does. It's not something every company probably should do. But then also with our social mission, you know, it's just like a lot of differentiating 
forces. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where we're headed now. And we're going to have an Indiegogo campaign um, September 14th through October 11th for that. Which and we'll have the link in the show notes. So you can definitely go there and support. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We would love that. Yeah, but that'll be just to help us buy the rest of our machinery. Like I said, we bought the bare bones version of it so that mm-hmm. we can obviously test all of our theories and really start working through the product line. And we've actually been working with this part with a, a branding expert just to make sure that we really hit it. But yeah, that'll help us buy the machinery so that our makers can be the ones making all of the jewelry. So they'll still be the ones physically making every product. It will look completely different than before instead of like, you know, attaching jump rings and things like that. It will be melting metals, you know, and like polishing um, rings and things like that. But but the idea is the same. And we kind of came to that conclusion just by being more and more ingrained in, yeah, the jewelry sector and, and figuring out what works and where we want to leverage ourselves. We're more interested now, I would say, in slow fashion than we were mm-hmm. before. Before we were kind of trendy, almost, you know, more like craft jewelry. And we were like, sold at different wholesale venues and different events and things like that. Um, and it was awesome and it, and it worked, but we, um, for branding reasons and also for like moral reasons are now more interested in slow fashion and buying things that will last that, you know, like you can hopefully wear every day. That'll be a daily staple. Yeah. And, and it's more about um, our, our like slogan kind of is it's for the everyday woman looking for everyday meaning, you know, and so mm-hmm. you can like feel good about your purchase, but it's not like you're going to have to continue to keep up with whoever. I love that. I love the whole slow fashion. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's fantastic because, and it's, it's so good. I mean, and even if you pay a little bit more, you know, for these items, it then, like you said, they last longer. So it's just, I love that. And I love the whole recyclable melting down this metal and, you know, reusing it, repurposing it. Like that's super cool. And so do you do mainly earrings, necklaces, rings, a combination, like all of the above. So we'll be doing, so before we were just doing necklaces, bracelets and necklaces, or what am I not saying? Earrings. Yeah. So now we'll be doing all of those plus rings. Um, Nice. So it'll be more of like a minimalistic style though, admittedly, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of in line with the slow fashion ethos. So I don't, you can actually probably see, I'm wearing this that we cast. Oh, it's so nice. Sweet little ring with cool designs. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's fun because we can make all of these designs because we're the ones creating the molds for the metal, you know? So it's like, we can Mm -hmm. do really anything like pendants, cool little like cuffs and things like that. Yeah. We're really excited about it, but I will say we're also interested in maintaining accessible prices, even Mm -hmm. with slow fashion slant just because I mean I think one of my complaints maybe with the social enterprise space and I love the social enterprise space I've like kind of dedicated myself to it right now but one of my complaints is sometimes it's really inaccessible for people to feel like they can get involved in the issues because the products are really expensive you know and you know and like I'd love to be able to buy whatever and support this marginalized group but it but I can't spend triple what a normal product costs and so we thought it was important that we could give women mainly of of all socioeconomic backgrounds a chance to really be involved in our mission and also to hopefully buy jewelry that's high quality that they love so so that was important and just inclusivity on all on all fronts you know age diversity is really important i think in the jewelry sector and it's not something that i see a lot of right now obviously Mm -hmm. ethnicity orientation just all of those things i think are important but socioeconomic i think is one that's especially in the social enterprise sphere often left behind so we're trying to change that to some extent. Oh, I love that. It is so important. You're right. Because I see a lot of things and I'm like, oh, I would love to support that brand or whatnot. But, you know, it's hard to cough up the cash sometimes when you can get 
something similar for a lot less expensive. You know, it just doesn't fit in your budget. Right. So yeah, I love that you're making it accessible and especially for everything that the company is designed for to up level people into, you know, different socioeconomic strategies, you know, or stratospheres, right? You know, so it's like all of a sudden, then it's also creating the accessibility for the consumer to provide, you know, to buy that product and to talk about it and to wear it and to also understand your mission. So I think that's really, really cool. So where do you guys sell most of your, your jewelry then? Is it at pop-up shops online, you know, Instagram, like where, where's your online, um, Instagram as well. Social media is big for us. Yeah. Especially after the Indiegogo, we're going to shift pretty exclusively, I think to, um, e-commerce. So it'll be a lot of online and Instagram, things like that. We'll still have a few wholesalers just because we love them. And we'll definitely still do some pop-ups because mainly because our makers love them. They love selling, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, it's the thing they can like, you know, build confidence, but on the resume, mainly e-commerce. Okay. Yeah. So you were just ta- yeah, saying mainly online, but your makers love doing, they love selling too, which is really, really cool. And it's good to have pop-ups once in a while too, just to get your, your message out. Right. Like it's nice to, totally. yeah. So that's, that's so much fun. Oh my gosh. I love this. I love that you're online. I would love to see you guys though, in some major departments. <laughs> and other stores like I could see you being in that because especially with your accessibility and your your niche right it's it's you're niching down now it's like even further now that you're you're changing your branding and and just how you're sourcing your materials that I think that will actually be advantageous for you you know and I I know that sometimes when people start niching down further and further they think oh my gosh but then I'm gonna lose more people I'm gonna lose more customers I'm not gonna you know make as much money but I find that you know in the ethos in the whole world right now is saying no that's actually a good thing to niche down more you actually get people that are more committed and you know your, your customers are actually more devoted to you then and you can really target them better so I think you're gonna do really well so I'm really excited to hear about your your crowdfunder that you mentioned earlier so it is going on uh, from September 14th until August 11th is that right yes okay great so that's an online crowdfunding campaign that you guys are doing to raise some revenue then so you guys can get some more equipment right to actually for for your sourcing which is great and so how can people like do you have a goal what's your goal like how can people go over there and help you out yeah our goal is forty thousand. Um, nice so that's kind of the stretch goal we can we can make do probably with a little less but we really need i mean there's some things we can't do without you know which are like the basic machinery and things like right that. and yeah especially to be able to mass produce some of these you know new products we'll need that because we'll be abandoning really all the old products yeah, so it's 40000 and what I love about Indiegogo is that, one, it's it's flexible, so all of the, you know, if you've ever seen like a Kickstarter or something like that, pretty similar, but there's just a lot of options, I think, with Indiegogo where you can choose exactly what you want for your like reward level, um, so it's more of a pre-order than anything, because we'll definitely have everything out by Christmas, so it's kind of like, you can just go order all of your Christmas presents now, and we'll make sure that you have them. Yeah, but it'll be like certain tiers of products with different price points, and then you can choose which ones you'll want, and then that's what you'll, you know, like be able to support. And then, yeah, and then give us probably a month or so, and you'll have your products, which is kind of crazy. It'll really depend on fulfillment how quickly we can get the money so that we can buy the machinery, because obviously they have to go in that order, but definitely by Christmas. So, yeah, we're we're definitely excited and. Um, it's kind of fun too, just to create this community. Um, Mm -hmm. Because obviously I've talked a lot about the community internally at Unlock that we have and and the way that we really try and support each other and our makers. But I think that's something we've been missing a little bit with our customers until now. And so 
this is kind of a chance for us to really build out the public facing side, I guess, of our community, you know, and what we're trying to be for every woman, not just women, you know, transitioning out of homelessness, but that you can come in and, and feel like you're a part of our group, you know, and, and we're planning on having all sorts of different, like, exclusive content that'll be obviously on the Indiegogo, but even just beyond that, that'll be, you know, for people who, who support us and care about us, and you'll get like special newsletters with updates and all sorts of things like that. So that's so great. So yeah, so you guys, um, you guys can definitely check out the Indiegogo site. We'll have the link in the show notes. Also, just like she said, it's not just, oh, you know, a donation, like help us raise money, which I mean, that's fine too. But this is actually where you're going and you're getting something in return. So you're basically pre-ordering your jewelry so they can have the money that they need to purchase the equipment that will make that jewelry. (laughs) So it's, it's like some, you know, it's like, ahead of the game and then you still get your products in return and you're getting these all from the beginning. So you're helping support this mission, which is looking to employ 20 women in 2020, um, which is amazing. And with all recyclable materials and at accessible prices. So do go check out the Indiegogo page. And like uh, Alexis was saying, those are great Christmas presents too. And just what a great story to share with somebody at Christmas, right? Along with this gift, because it's not just giving someone a gift, but you're actually giving them a story too. So that's really, really inspiring. So thank you so much, Alexis. So where can people find you guys? So our website is unlockednashville.com spelled kind of how you think it is. And then our Facebook and Instagram is also at unlockednashville. Again, we can link the Indiegogo campaign so you guys can check that out. But there'll be all sorts of fun. Yeah, just like different things that you can click on that'll be even beyond jewelry, maybe like FaceTiming with our makers, you know. Oh, fun. Yeah, we think it'll be really cool. That's so cool. Reach out to me via email if you're interested. Um, Mm -hmm. Alexis at unlockednashville.com. Okay, great. Yeah. So yeah, if you guys have questions about this, maybe some of you have questions about starting up a for-profit or working with a nonprofit, working with influencers, that sort of thing, then definitely contact Alexis. She's very responsive. Let me tell you, like, I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to get back to my DM when I first found you guys. And like, right away, we're like, boom, back and forth. And I was like, this is awesome. I love Instagram. (laughs) Isn't that wild? I love how the world works. (laughs) It's so cool. I know. I know. And this is just, man, so I love it because I know so many nonprofits, even on Guam, that are going to benefit from listening to this conversation and just really, you know, be able to possibly start something and grow something that's going to benefit people on our island because they're going to, you know, hear what you had to say and be inspired by it and also have a roadmap to do it. So thank you so much today for just, you know, sharing your backstory as well as a system on how to actually implement this and move forward. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. All right. Thank you again. And you guys heard it. So check out Alexis at www.unlockednashville.com. She's also on Facebook, on Instagram. Definitely check out the Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign because that is going to be amazing. You guys are going to get some great prices and maybe even FaceTime with the makers. How cool is that? Ah. (laughs) All right, Alexis. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you so much, Holly. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Do you want to join the Changemaker Tribe and get courses, downloadable checklists, samples of awarded grants, behind-the-scenes live Q&A with myself and the Tribe, and discounts on grant services? Be sure to join the Changemaker membership at www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash membership. Thank you for listening to this grant writing and funding podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time. 
For more questions, email Holly at holly at grantwritingandfunding.com or visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com. 